0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. let see it.
1: Coming to you from the greater Montreal area, this is the Not Having It Podcast, where we talk any and all things related to the Montreal Canadiens. I'm your host, Joshua DeLorme. Welcome to the brand new Not Habit It Podcast. I'm one of the contributors over at A winninghabit.com and we are really excited to bring to you this podcast as it is another way for us to not only provide you with more content, but also to expand and discuss what we've been writing about. I'm really excited about this podcast mainly because while it allows me to interact with you, the listeners, on a more personal level... But not to worry, I will also be rotating in some of the other contributors from the website and some friends from time to time to bring you some really exciting content related to the Montreal Canadiens, so you won't only always hear my voice. This podcast will bring you my instant analysis, my hard-line opinions, and as mentioned on some occasions, some debates that you simply won't want to miss. This will be a weekly show, so for my sake and for yours, I will try my best to keep episodes at a decent length. With that said, I'm always going to be on the lookout for more ways to interact with you, the readers and the listeners, so I would like to invite you to follow me on Twitter, Twitter handle at Delorme 95 and, you know, reach out to me, let me know what you think of the podcast. On this week's show, I will be expanding on my most recent post where I recapped and reviewed the Montreal Canadiens' season. I will also take a quick look around the rest of the National Hockey League to see what's going on in the world of the playoffs. To end the show, I'm really excited to bring to you an awesome conversation I had with Jason Greenberg from Union in Blue regarding the Columbus Blue Jackets and their push for the playoffs. Before I get started with the podcast, I'd like to throw a gentle little reminder at you to, you know, go out and check awinninghabit.com out for tons and tons of habs-related content. Uh, you know, the other contributors out there and myself, we really try to keep as much of it updated as possible and you know, fresh content out there for you. So feel free to go out and enjoy that. Um, also please, you know, don't forget to tell your friends about this wonderful podcast you've discovered and to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. So, you know, you make sure to never, ever miss an episode because that wouldn't be very good. And also, if you don't mind or if you'd like to or whatever, I'm going to beg you, please go out and, you know, rate this podcast. Give us a little review. Give us something. It's always appreciated. All right. Let's get started with the podcast. As I mentioned in my... um Open to this podcast. One of the things I wanted to talk about today was the um, the season in general for the Canadians. Uh, I don't know if any of you had the opportunity to read my um, my latest post on a winninghabit.com titled um, Josh's Take, Montreal Canadian Season in Review. I invite you all to go out and, uh, and, and read that. It, uh, it offers a lot of my perspective in in what I think went down and, and what happened to the Canadians this year. Uh, and, and, and further into detail, it offers um, opinions as to what exactly happened and how things happened and what might have gone differently if if the, uh, if the Canadians had uh, made some different moves. Throughout the season, and uh, and yeah, so basically, what I wanted to do is to to dive into that a little bit more. If if you haven't had the opportunity to read that, well, then you'll have a lot of it here. And if you have, well, thank you first of all for reading, and then and uh, I'm looking to expand on that. So as I meant, I mentioned in my post, um, one of the clear things I mentioned was was the the changes that were brought to the organization following last season. I don't know if any of you. Uh, remember most of the comments that Marc Bergevin um, echoed at his uh, season-ending press conference last year. But the thing that stood out to me and to, I would think, everyone else was the term attitude and how, how Marc Bergevin believed there was an attitude problem in his dressing room. And and that did not cause but didn't solve some of the issues that the Canadians had on the ice and off. Um and so when 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 we had Mark Bergevin last year st- sit there and and talk about attitude problems in the dressing room it f- flashed me back to a f- couple years earlier than that when he put a lot of issues on the team's character at the time saying that there was a character problem on this team and 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 they did not know how to compete properly. And 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 he addressed that that summer and and that was the summer that we saw Lars Eller get shipped out and Andrew Shaw brought in, and that was also the summer that PK Subban was traded to Nashville in return for uh, now captain Shea Weber. And so we we have a history here of of Mark Bergevin identifying a key in his mind issue off the ice to to um, give us an explanation as to what might be going on on the ice. Um, so by that I mean, you know, it's it's this year it was an it was a it was a, no, last year, I right, forgive me, last year it was an attitude problem. And and when, when when I heard the general manager say that there was an attitude problem, I, I expected some, some changes to the roster coming into this year, uh, much like what we saw a couple years ago when it was a character problem. Maybe there's a scoring problem, but we'll get into that a little later. Um, so yeah, see, see um, when I... Going into the off season, I was expecting some pretty drastic changes to the to the uh, to the Canadians roster, and 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 some changes were made, uh, pretty big ones when you think about it. Um, anytime you trade your captain, that's a big trade, that's a big change to the roster. Um, and and I really think that when when Mark Burchill was talking about this this lack of uh, well this problem with the attitude in the team was, I think maybe not pointing fingers, but I think he was in one way or another talking about his captain max pacioretty i don't i don't think the organization and the management team here in montreal really um how can i say this really appreciated or or liked or or liked what they saw when it came to pacioretty and um and and his guidance i would say Um, there were a lot of issues on this team last year and um I don't know if they felt like Max Pacioretty just put too much pressure on himself um, as the as the ship was sinking. I can say um, I don't know if if he put too much pressure on his own shoulders and and was was neglecting other things or. Or, or he just simply couldn't find a way to get the, the, the core, or the group, or the locker room in general to, to, um, to mesh together, and, and so when, uh, when that happened, there was, there was, there were definitely changes that were going to happen, and, and, and so yeah, so I mean, before training camp, we saw Max Pacioretty get traded to, uh, to the Vegas Golden Knights in uh, a pretty good return, actually, a very good trade, um, for Mark Berger. Anytime you can. You can get three assets in return for one. Uh, that's that's a fair trade. You know that's a fairly solid return, especially um, when when Thomas Tatar, who is a pre- proven twenty goal scorer in this National Hockey League, was was not the centerpiece. You know was not the focal point of the the trade. I mean anybody can we can all assume that Nick Suzuki, a former first round draft pick of the Vegas Golden Knights, was the was the centerpiece of this trade, and that was the that was the young player that Mark Bergevin keyed in on and, and well, you know, a second round pick Mark Bergevin loves his draft picks. And, and, and so when, uh, when Thomas Tatar is the third piece to, to a trade like that, he's a proven 20 goal scorer. So that definitely helped um, uh, replace or replenish some of the offense that the Canadians were going to lose from the max patch from trading away. Max patch already, even though he had a down year last year, um when it came to goals another um another key i guess trade well not i guess another massive trade that uh, i'll call a massive because of of the points that max Domi was able to put up this year in uh, in montreal but another another massive trade for for mark in the off season was before the draft, trading um, center, winger, Reese, you know, young forward Alex Galchenyuk to uh, to the Arizona Coyotes for uh, for Max Domi. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was one of the, I don't know, many, few, however many people out there there were. Um, I was one of, I was very, very much against this trade. Excuse me, at the time. And um v- I, I looked at Max Domi as a as a you know a leader guy, a good character, had the right attitude, all these key words that Mark uh, Mark Bergevin likes to throw at us. But this was also a kid that scored nine goals in each of the two previous seasons, um, and so I I didn't I was unsure. Let's put it skeptical. Skeptical is the word I'll use. I was very skeptical um, that whether or not he was going to be able to. To you know, produce uh, for a top six forward in the National Hockey League. Boy, did he ever prove me wrong! I mean, really, um, this kid comes in and, and 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 is a seventy point, over seventy point player for the Montreal Canadiens, and and he played center when he had played wing most of his time in Car- in Arizona. Pardon me, and um, and really, I think he he came in and he embodied. Um, what it is to be a Montreal Canadian. He 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 embodied what it is to, to play in Montreal. Um, of course, his father uh, had played in, in in Toronto, so this kid grew up in in around in and around dressing rooms in the National Hockey League and in and around um, uh, NHL players, and and so he sees he knows and he saw what it, it take what it takes to 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 work hard and to uh, to succeed in the National Hockey League. And this kid came in here and and absolutely uh, took off. I mean, really he like I said, he embodied everything that is a Montreal Canadian. He he embraced the city, he embraced the fan base, he embraced the team and and you can tell, you could easily tell how genuinely happy he was to throw on the bleu blanc rouge um Habs jersey at the beginning of the year and 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 he th- not only did he love it he thrived in this hockey market when when some players um shrivel away into little balls of nothing when they reach montreal uh, but not this kid no no this kid this kid came in here and 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 showed everyone what it's like to play in Montreal. Showed everyone how to play um, and how to succeed in Montreal. The type of play, the type of game you need to play, and the attitude. There I go again. The attitude you need to come in here with, and and he really did that. Um, and so that was a solid acquisition, very solid on behalf of Mark Burchway. And I will sit here and I, like I wrote in my post. Acknowledge that I, w- I was wrong. I-, I believe that they gave up on um, Alex Galchenyuk far too soon. I think, uh, I, th- I, st- I thought, but I still think that they, in a way, ruined him um, as they drafted him to be a center. Uh, never allowed him to fully develop into that role. Shifted him from center to wing, to fourth line, to top six, to third line. He never knew what game he was gonna play. He never knew how many minutes he was gonna play. Nobody knew, uh, and I really think that started to mess with his head. And and he struggled with some injuries in Arizona this year. And I really hope that that next year he's able to to really take off. Uh, and and show people what he can be because I think there's a lot of untapped potential there. I mean, let's not forget he's a 30 goal scorer. He he scored 30 goals in this National Hockey League, um, and I I really think there's a lot of um, a lot of, of lot a lot left there for him if if he can uh, redevelop his his touch in in Arizona and whatever he can, turns out to be, whether it's a winger um, or a center. I really hope it works out for him. The other uh, off-season moves I really wanted to talk about was um, the changes to the coaching staff. Um, I had been saying anybody that knows me really, uh, or has heard or has had conversations with me about the Montreal Canadiens knows how much I was in favor, begging, kicking, screaming, whatever adjective or term you want to use, um, I was doing it screaming for a change to the coaching staff. I thought that the way the uh, the Canadians played was outdated. Um, and I wrote in my in my um, in my post here on winninghabit.com and I quote, "Canadian staff needed an infusion of youth and an adaptation to the new style of the NHL." I go on to say, "After last season, I was left thinking that Claude Julien's playing style for his team was not working in today's NHL. I stand by that. I, I really do. I think results were shown last year that, that the style of play he had his team play was not conducive to what the NHL is, is today. It was too slow. It was too passive. It was a very defense-first mentality, which is okay, but it was a very passive mentality instead of high on the forecheck, um, attacking the opposition in their own zone, not instead of just, you know, sitting back and waiting for them to come, come at you. Um, and I really thought the team struggled last year in part because of, um, of the style of play that the coaching staff had. And, and the addition of, of Dominic Ducharme and Luke Richardson, in my mind, uh, made, made unbelievable changes to the team and to the, the way that Claude Julien's team plays, um, I think Claude acknowledged that uh, changes need to be made, uh, that that he needed to adapt his playing style, his, his style of his team, and he and, and credit to him, you know, kudos to him. He, he went out and with Mark Boucher they found two coaches that were going to come behind the bench. And uh, and help him do that. And and every defenseman on the Montreal Canadiens roster at the end of the year practically came out and said that the, and, and raved about uh, the job that Luke Richardson has done with the defensive core. And I really think you can't underestimate that or undervalue that. Uh, the way that the defense has played just compared to last year is is incredibly different. Um, one of the changes I've noticed the most is is how um, the defensemen were were totally and, and and always encouraged to to carry the puck up the ice, um, to carry the puck out of the defensive zone instead of you know looking for a bank off the glass or off the boards into the neutral zone. Um, if they saw they saw a lane or they had the puck on their stick, uh, they were they were encouraged to skate it out of the own of their own zone. But further than that. They they were encouraged to to participate and be active in the forecheck in the offensive zone, um, and I, I I think Jeff Petrie is is the prime example of of a player that 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 thrived and really succeeded in in this um, in this new style that the Canadians played on the defense. Uh, I mean the defense, the Jeff Petrie he's a 31 year old defenseman, very solid two way defenseman, very reliable in his own zone um and always been reliable away from the puck steady with the puck um but i mean this year jeff petrie set a career he had a career year in goals in assists and in points and and i i i i can't remember the amount of times that we would see jeff petrie skating down the half wall Either with the puck, looking for a seam, looking for a play, looking for an offensive play that might lead to a scoring chance, um, or if it was a pinch in the offensive zone to keep the puck in the offensive zone, or if it was just to put pressure on on the offensive on the opposition, and 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 you know do what he had to do to to keep pressure on them and keep the forecheck alive. Um, I really, I really think that that Jeff Petrie is a prime example of, and and the play of this of Jeff Petrie this year was a prime example of of the changes that um, that that the coaching staff initiated on the defensive uh, side of the puck. Um, I also want to mention uh, Je- Jordan Jordan Jordy Ben Jordy Ben. Uh, anybody that again, anybody that knows me really knows how I feel about uh, about Jordy Ben. Uh, historically, I've not. How can I say? Not historically, I haven't been the biggest Jordy Ben fan. Let's put it that way. I, I you know, I think he's a capable bottom pairing uh, defenseman, um, but I really don't see much more than that. I think he can. He's reliable on the penalty kill when you need him to be. Um, and all that. But when it's five on five, I, I've really noticed in the past years how much he struggled. Well, Jordy Ben is another defenseman this year that, that, um, that really elevated his play and really thrived under the, the tutelage of, uh, of Luke Richardson and and the change in the defensive play. I mean, I talked about Jeff Petrie setting career year, having a career year, Well, Jordy Ben also had a he had a career year in goals and in points. Uh, so he was participating on the offense as well as being reliable on the defense and and out there for key minutes. I mean, he he uh, he played a really really solid year and and I mean like I like I wrote in my uh, in my uh, Josh's take post. Um, pretty good year for him to do that the fact considering that uh that he needs a contract for next year um making 1.1 million dollars on the cap this year uh hopefully I don't know I mean I don't I'll be I don't know how I feel about bringing Jordy Ben back or or what role is is available for Jordy Ben on this team in the future I'll, I'll that'll be for a conversation for a future episode um but I wanted to highlight, uh, as I did in my in my post, I wanted to highlight the the play, the play of Jordy Ben this year, and 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 what he was able to accomplish. Let me see here. Yes, all right. The other thing, the other thing I wanted to talk about for the Canadians. Um, was was the team in general. Uh, I mean, a lot of people will sit here and tell you that this, team, this season was a success. Um, the increase in points this year is fantastic. I mean, last year they finished at the bottom of the league with 71 points. This year they missed the playoffs by one point, finishing with 96 points. Any year that you have an increase of 25 points in the standings, that's a good year. That's a great year. That's that's something that the management team and the coaching staff and the players should be proud of. The, and, and really, when you think about it, without too much turnover on the roster, I mean, yeah, there were two, I I let's put it this way, two key changes. patcheretti and Galchenyuk, and then taptar coming in, and... Um, and, and Domi, and Domi coming in. Those are the two main real changes on the roster, and and so, I mean, yes, in one sense, this season was a success, because it was better than it was last year, but this is where I disagree with it. Hint, this is one of those hard line opinion moments that I talked about. Um, this is where I disagree with it. This, this, Season in in a way was not a success because this team sat in a playoff spot for the vast majority of this season. For the mass, for the vast majority of the year, the Canadians sat in a playoff spot, and I talked about this for at, at length in my uh, on my in my post on a winning habit uh, and I, I I write I say you know at the when when the calendar turned to January twenty nineteen the team was sitting in the first wildcard spot, one point behind the Buffalo Sabres for third in the Atlantic Division. Just think about that. In January, with um, just over three months to go, this team was one point behind third in the division. That's great. That's awesome. They had been in a playoff spot up until then, or battling for a playoff spot in and always hanging around. Well, January was a great month for the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, they had a they had the 4th best record in the league during the month of January, and it showed in the standings. I mean, it really did because um at the at the end of January, the the Canadians were sitting in the 3rd spot, uh, moving past Buffalo as January was really not good for Buffalo. They fell off a cliff. Um, they So Montreal was sitting three, a third in the division, only one point back of the Toronto Maple Leafs for second. One point back! They were right there, neck and neck, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I remember looking at my... I, I could not believe it. The Montreal Canadiens had the opportunity to pass the Toronto Maple Leafs in the standings. It was f- feasible that the Toronto Maple Leafs were going to finish behind... The Montreal Canadiens in the standings say it ain't so. Well, it wasn't so. Because as good as January was, February and March were not. Um, I mean, February, the Canadians went with a record of 6-5-2, while Toronto ran away with it at 9-4-2. And if you think Toronto ran away with it, Boston had 11 wins, 0 regulation losses, and 2 in overtime. Or a shootout. Eleven oh and two, Boston goes. Toronto goes nine four and two and Montreal treading water at six five and two. That was that was the moment. That was the separation of boys and men. That was the separation from children to adults. Big boy hockey was played in the month of February and and the canadians were left behind in in a third tier battling for a wild card spot when when really they were right there with toronto and boston um, to finish two or third in the division so this leads us to the trade deadline what is what is um what does mark Bergevin do at the trade deadline he sits in his office Wherever it is, I would assume it's the the um, the the Canadians' practice arena in Brossard or in the Bell Center, wherever his office is. He sits there in the war room with his assistant general managers and his scouts and all the hockey operations department, and they stand pat. They add um, fourth line center Nate Thompson, depth forward. Speedy, depth forward, Jordan Wheel, depth defenseman Christian Folan, and that's it. I said, at the time of the trade deadline, that the Montreal Canadiens were going to regret their 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 choice and tactics at the trade deadline. I thought to myself when I saw the trade deadline, when I saw what moves were made. I thought to myself. The Canadians will not make the playoffs. I said it then and there at the trade deadline. The Canadians are going to miss the playoffs because every team around them got better and they did not. I mean, that's what it is. Really, that's what it is. I look at the teams that are around them in the standings. The Boston Bruins added Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson. The Toronto Maple Leafs brought in Stabilizing help on defense in Jake Muzzin. Paying a heavy price for Jake Muzzin. The, the Columbus Blue Jackets threw all their chips into the middle. Everything they got right in the middle. Bringing in Matt Duchesne and Ryan Dezingle. Two top six forwards. Pittsburgh Penguins. They addressed need. They addressed their injury situation on defense. And brought in Erica Branson. The Carolina Hurricanes. The bunch of jerks who, as of tonight, when I'm recording this podcast, just defeated the Washington Capitals. More on that later. The bunch of jerks this season added Nino Niederreiter, who was a key part of their push down the stretch. Every team around them in the standings made a trade or two during this year at some point to improve their team. Mark Bergevin brought in a fourth-line center and a depth forward in Jordan Wheel that was played too much by Claude Julien. I've seen this movie before. I did. The last time the Canadians made the playoffs, they were eliminated by the New York Rangers in the first round. That trade deadline, Montreal and their general manager, Mark Bergevin, brought in Dwight King, Steve Ott, And Andreas Martinson. Once again, depth forwards. I always think back to a quote that I used to hear from Margaret Bergevin saying, you can never have too many depth defensemen. You can never have too much depth. Boy, I've never seen someone take that so literal. This man only trades for depth. That's an exaggeration. Don't tweet me on that. But you understand my point. At a time when teams around him, around his team, added scoring forwards, added depth at forwards, and added top six actual forwards. Mark Bergevin brought in a fourth line center and a third or fourth line winger. Or center, whatever Jordan Wheel is. That's it. Christian Folan. Oh yeah, Christian Folan, who's a solid defenseman. He's reliable. He recently got a contract extension. Uh, good for him but he's that's what he is he's a depth defenseman once again only depth so that's when I said it I said it at that point that the Montreal Canadians were going to miss the playoffs I truly believe that at the trade deadline Mark Berger failed his team I do you can't sit here and tell me That he couldn't have made a better trade offer to the Ottawa Senators for Ryan Dezingo. I'm not going to sit here and say he should have traded Ryan Paling, Nick Suzuki, Caden Primo, Ryan Romanov, or Alex Alex Romanov, not Ryan. Alex Romanov, or a first-round pick, or whatnot. I would have. That's me personally. I would have. Because at some point, you need... To infuse your roster with actual top six forwards. Actual scoring forwards. People that can actually put the puck in the net. Because you need more than one or two of them. You do. And the Canadians struggle to score goals. They have for years. And, And it has been a systematical failure. On the part of the general manager. To address that need. He tried years ago, bringing in Thomas Vanek at the trade deadline. Thomas Vanek finished the year playing on the fourth line. Thank you, Michel Terrien. He cannot address a scoring need. He brought in Jonathan Drouin, sacrificed left-handed shot, young defenseman Mikhail Sergachev. Jonathan Drouin is okay. He's playing okay. He's not playing as we expected. And sure, he had a good year offensively. But any time you're a a forward that is relied on for offense and you disappear for 20 games, 20 games without a point, you're going to get called out by Josh. I will call you out for that. That was a failure. Every time Mark Bergevin brings in help at forward for a top six role, he subtracts one. Thomas Tatar comes in this year. Costs Max Patrick Max Domi comes in this year. Costs um, Alex Kalchenyak. The the year that uh, Jonathan Drouin came in, we lost Alex Radulov. Every time, it's one for one. It is not, let's build on what we have. Let's... Uh, Accelerate the process. Let's accumulate scoring forwards. Let's add scoring depth in the top six. It's one goes, I replace him. One goes, he replaces. That's all it is. It has been a systematical failure on the part of the general manager and his hockey operations staff to address this scoring problem. Enough. Enough's enough. I'm sick and tired of it. Sick and tired of hearing excuses from the general manager and his group of yes men. I'm sick of it. Every single time. Oh, well, you know, the guy's tried and it's not easy. That's my favorite one. It's really not easy to make a trade. I understand that, Mark. But it's still your job. The fact is, your job is to improve this team. You haven't done that. It's been a roller coaster, up and down and up and down. Good year, bad year, bad year, good year. Two good years, three bad years. What the hell are we doing? This is the Montreal Canadiens, Mark. This is the creme de la creme. The top of the top. The most historic sports franchise ever. And this is what you do? You need to do something. I believe Mark Bergeron should have been fired years ago. But he's still here. God knows why. Maybe he's good at his job. I don't think that he's that good. Whatever. Again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Mark Bergeron failed his team at the trade deadline by not adding scoring help. He did not reward his group for all their hard work in battling all year long to get them to that point. How discouraging do you think it could have been? To have been in that locker room at the deadline, see every team around you get better every team you're battling in the playoff for a playoff spot that team gets better that team gets better. this one gets better. We added Nate Thompson and Jordan wheel nothing against Nate Thompson and Jordan wheel that was not the biggest need. How discouraging do you think it would have been? I think it's extremely discouraging. Here I am going answering my own questions <sighs> I think he let his team down, and it showed. They, I truly believe, they'll never come out and tell you this because they're professionals. I truly believe that they also knew their chances of making the playoffs had gone away. And I don't care that um, some people might say, "Well, this isn't the year to add." Um, You don't want to sacrifice the future. I understand that. Like I said, I'm not saying he should have traded Romanov or Primo or Paling or Suzuki or Brook. Or the first round pick this year. Although maybe, but whatever. All I'm saying is that something is better than nothing. Again, you cannot tell me that the Canadians could not have matched or well, he needed more than match, but could not have done a slightly better offer to the New Jersey Devils to bring in Marcus Johansson. That's a scoring forward. Depth, yes, probably a third line forward, but he has a history of being able to put the puck in the net. You can't tell me he couldn't have made a better offer to the Ottawa Senators for Ryan Dezingle. I would have paid two second-round picks in a heartbeat for Ryan Dezingle. And this is a team, Ottawa is, that is starving for picks. They're in a self-proclaimed rebuild. They need draft picks. Mark Bergeron has the the assets. He had the the trade capital and draft picks to make that trade. I don't know. Would Ottawa have done two second-round picks and and another draft pick? I know I would have. Because Ryan Dezingle is a fast incredibly fast hockey player that can come in and immediately slots into your top six and and is a scoring forward. He scores goals. And he has an opportunity. He's a UFA at the end of the year. An opportunity to re-sign. Maybe. But if not, you still addressed a need and you rewarded your players for their hard work. That's a failure, Mark. I'll just go on and add it to the long list that I've been accumulating here. Alright, I'm going to end on my Montreal Canadiens conversation with you talking about the special teams. The abysmal power play. God-awful. Trash. Horrendous. Embarrassing. Insulting. Horrendous. God-awful. I know I've said that already, but I prove a point. Ranked 30th. 30th in the National Hockey League. At twelve point seven percent, twelve point seven percent. You know how bad that is. That's incredibly bad. That's a that's 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 disgustingly bad. Just to showcase, last year finished thirteenth in the play in the in the in on the power play with a percentage uh, efficiency rate of twenty one point two percent. Twenty one point two to twelve point seven. I don't know, Mark. Could have scoring forward had helped there? Fix the power play just a little bit. Just a little bit. couple more goals this year on the power play. You're probably in the playoffs. Not probably. Chances are you are. That's how close it is. And again, the failure to address the power play. You failed, Mark. He failed this team. By not addressing bringing in some help to try to improve this power play mid-season, to try to get them over the hump, get them into the playoffs. The penalty kill, on the other hand, was fantastic compared to what it was last year. Ironically enough, last year's penalty kill, I mean, penalty kill last year, finished 30th in the league. 74.1% efficiency rate. This year, 18th, at 80.1%. You might say 18th. That's still at the bottom half of the league. It's not all that great. I don't. The penalty kill doesn't bother me. Because as of January 1st, the Canadiens' penalty kill was 5th in the NHL with an efficiency rate of 85.8%. So clearly they were doing something right. Clearly. Carey Price was playing well. The return of Shea Weber helped. But the penalty kill was not a problem. The power play was... Sometimes it made me wish that this was like the NFL and you could um, decline a penalty. (laughs) Just say, no, 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 it's okay. We'll keep playing five on five. Ironically enough, that makes me think. I heard a story a couple, maybe a year or two ago of a former National Hockey League coach whose team was so bad on the power play. So bad. And they would lose momentum. Because that's the other freaking thing. So often, the power play was so bad, they would lose momentum. And then they were flat, flat, and nothing to show for it. I'm getting off topic. Anyway, back to this little side note. This coach, every time his team had a power play, he instructed his guys, right off the face-off, take a penalty. Let's play four-on-four. He had more faith in his team of playing better four-on-four than he did (laughs) five-on-five. Maybe I would have tried that this year in Montreal. I don't know. But the power play definitely needs to be addressed this off season. I don't know how you do it. I don't. I would start by bringing in a top six forward that can score goals. Do it, Mark. Do it. He needs to do something. Because more of this is not okay. It's not, and, and, and I said it already, and I'll say it again. A couple more goals on the power play this year. You probably win a couple more games. That puts you in the playoffs. It's that simple. You score a couple more goals on the power play, you make the playoffs. So do your job, Mark. Do your job this summer. And address the power play. Speaking of the playoffs, I want to uh, briefly bring your attention to another post on uh, available for your reading pleasure on a awinninghabit.com, uh, written by uh, my good friend Omar, titled, Montreal Canadiens' Mark Bergevin's take on the playoffs is 100% true. What does he mean by that? Well, if the playoffs this year has proven anything, is that it in fact is true, as Omar writes in his post... That once you're in, anything can happen. Where did we hear that before, Mark? Well, we heard it from Mark Bergeret so many times. Omar so nicely reminds us in his post. On so many occasions, Mark Bergeret has sat there and told us that if you get in, anything can happen. And this year is a prime example of that. The, the parity that's in this league right now is unbelievable. All four division champions were eliminated in the first round. Tampa Bay Lightning swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Wild card team. The Washington Capitals lost in double overtime, game seven, to the Carolina Hurricanes. Wild card team. The Nashville Predators lost in six to the Dallas Stars. Wild card team. The Calgary Flames lost in five to the to the uh, Colorado Avalanche. Colorado Avalanche. Colorado Avalanche. Wildcard team. Sorry, I kind of stumbled on that one. My point is, all four wildcard teams won their series. If that's not parody, I don't know what is. If that doesn't tell you, That if you in fact do get in realistically, anything can happen. I don't know what will. Omar um, notes in his post that this marks this year, this playoff, this first round of the playoffs marks the first time, the first time in Nf in NHL in NHL history that both top seeded teams in either conferences, so the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Calgary Flames were eliminated in the first round. The first time in the NHL history. And and I mean it's 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 in a way it's it's realistic it's really unbelievable to see all the big teams knocked out in this first round. Defending Stanley Cup champions losing double overtime tonight to in game 7 to the Carolina Hurricanes. The Nashville Predators gone. The Winnipeg Jets, gone. The Calgary Flames, gone. The Tampa Bay Lightning, gone. The Pittsburgh Penguins, gone. Now I know, the Pittsburgh Penguins are not the Pittsburgh Penguins of a few years ago. But, as Omar also points out in his post, you can never ever count out Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. You can't. But yet, Barry Trotz and the New York Islanders swept them in the first round. Both teams that, both 8th seeded teams that barely made the playoffs won their division. Not their division, their round. The Colorado Avalanche, 8th seed, defeated number 1 Calgary Flames. The Columbus Blue Jackets, eighth seed, defeated their opponent, Tampa Bay Lightning, in four games. So, what's my point in all this? What's Omar's point in all this? Um, I wanted to bring attention to his post that was so masterfully written. Um, his point in all this, and, and my point in, in bringing this up, is is that Mark Bergevin is right. I'll give him credit. Mark Berger is right when he says, once you're in, anything can happen. The only problem is, you gotta get there. And, well, they didn't. Again. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting sick and tired of waiting. Because, really, is there anything better than playoff hockey? Yes, there is. Playoff hockey in Montreal. Playoff hockey at the Bell Centre with the Bleu-Blanc-Rouge playing. That's the greatest thing you'll ever see. If you're a sports fan, that is. The party that is in Montreal, when the Montreal Canadiens make the playoffs, is unbelievable. Mark, if you're listening, I want to party next year. I want to dance in the street, I want to celebrate every win and I want to feel my heart break every loss in the playoffs. I want to walk down to downtown Montreal on L'Avenue des Canadiens de Montréal, right outside the Bell Centre, and I want to party at FanFest or whatever they call it. Bring me that, Mark, because this is disappointing. Two years in a row, the Canadians missed the playoffs. Three of the last four, they missed the playoffs. That reminds me, Omar po- Omar's post also um, also accurately points out that the, uh, the last time the Canadians made the playoffs, they were the top-seeded team in the Atlantic Division. They played the New York Rangers in the first round and lost. So, you know, again, Mark, once you're in, anything can happen. Alright, enough about the uh, Montreal Canadiens. The uh, I'll have so much more to talk about, you know, many more opportunities to talk about leading up to the draft, about what's going to come in the off season, what changes might come and all that. I just wanted to start this podcast off by, um, you know, having a short little conversation, recapping moves that were made, changes to the roster throughout the season, the ups and the downs, and what led to the failure of missing the playoffs. Because that's what it is. It's a failure. Sure. The season was in part successful because they had more points than they had last year. Don't let that fool you. Don't let anyone tell you this season as a whole was successful. It was not. Because, as I've pointed out, and I'm going to get myself upset again, as I've pointed out time and time again, for the majority of the year, the Canadians were in a playoff spot. They missed the playoffs. That's a disappointment. Mark Berger said so at his end of year press conference. They're not happy. Of course they're not happy. Christ, I hope they're not happy. They lost. They missed the playoffs. They had no business being happy. And neither should you as a fan. Neither should I as a commentator. Person that follows the team. We shouldn't be happy about this. We shouldn't celebrate this. We can appreciate the season that they gave us. We can appreciate that they did not finish at the bottom of the league like many people were expecting them to. But this was not a success. It wasn't. Alright. I've talked about the playoffs a little bit. Go into a little bit more of that. The the, the year of upsets is what I'm going to call it. Really is what it is. The year of upsets. I've already talked about Tampa Bay losing out in four. I mean, talk about bracket busting. I I follow the Tampa Bay Lightning very closely. I enjoy, I'm enjoy. i a fan of that team. I enjoy watching that team play. I see a lot of their games, a few games a year. I, like a lot of other people, were expecting this team to probably cruise to a Stanley Cup final. And I was fully expecting... Them to win the cup this year. I don't know what happened in Columbus. I don't know what they put in the water in Columbus. At the, in that arena. But the Columbus Blue Jackets were the better team in the first round. John Tortorella was the better coach. John Tortorella out-coached John Cooper. He did. He did a masterful job of it too. And I wish them nothing but success. Wish them all the best. Mainly because they're going up against the Boston Bruins in the second round. And I hate the Bruins. I hate the Bruins. How can you not? Speaking of the Bruins. Once again. Two years in a row. Boston and Toronto. Round one. Stanley Cup playoffs. Once again. Game seven. TD Garden. Once again. Toronto goes home without a W. What's different? Well, for a year now, anybody that's turned on TSN or Sportsnet has had the Toronto Maple Leafs shoved down their throat. This was the year John Tavares was going to bring this team to new heights. The addition of John Tavares was going to be the difference. The Toronto Maple Leafs were going to compete for the Stanley Cup. No. They. Are. Not. TSN. Sportsnet. Whoever cheers for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sure. You have Austin Matthews. John Tavares. Mitch Marner. William Nylander. Morgan Riley. Nazem Kadri, Andreas Janssen. Yes. There's a lot of. Kasperi Kapanen. There's a lot of good players. What have you guys noticed? Most of those players are forwards. In fact, I only named one defenseman. So, as much as I hate the blue team, and trust me, I do, I really, really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed watching them lose once again in a game seven to Boston in a year that the Toronto Police were going to push for the cup. This was their year. And now they've left themselves in salary cap hell. I do not envy the job that Kyle Dubas is going to have this year. This coming off season, to address this. Because new contract for Austin Matthews kicks in. William Nylander still fresh off a new contract. Mitch Marner needs a new contract. John Tavares just signed an $11 million a year contract. They're still paying Grandpa Marlowe Almost $7 million a year. They are in salary cap hell. And I love it. I love it. Alright, I want to talk about the bunch of jerks. The Carolina Hurricanes. I think I found my new bandwagon team for the playoffs. They played fantastic in this series. I don't think anybody was expecting the Carolina Hurricanes to beat the Washington Capitals. I personally thought this was going to be a five-game series at the most. I thought maybe, maybe Carolina was going to be able to win one game at home. I thought Washington was going to steamroll them. Just like I thought... Tampa Bay was going to steamroll the entire league. Again, boy, was I wrong. Because if this playoff has proven anything, is that any prediction you make is probably going to be wrong. And it's great. That's what playoff hockey is all about. Hard work. Effort. Team. Team effort. Patience. And scoring goals. Hint, hint, Mark, scoring goals. <laughs> all right, I don't, uh, I don't want to delve on that much more. I will mention, I, I mentioned it already. You know how all the big dogs are gone—Nashville, Washington, Winnipeg, Tampa Bay, Calgary—all gone. That's that's so surprising. Because especially, especially, I look at Winnipeg. I don't know what happened in Winnipeg. Because that team looks like a team built for the playoffs. They're big, they're fast, they can score, they're mean, they can play rough, they can play sandpaper type, they can run up and down the, this, the, the ice, they can play any style you want. I don't know what happened there. But there's a lot of reflection, I would think, coming in Winnipeg. In Toronto, in Nashville. Nashville, look at the trades they've made in the last year. Last year, bringing in Kyle Turris. This year at the deadline, Brian Boyle, Wayne Simmons, Michael Granlin. Those are some massive additions. And they're out in six. Pecorine does not look like himself. Pecorine really struggled in the playoffs this year and last year. I don't know what's going on there. Calgary, Mike Smith, he had an okay year. He had an okay playoff. You need better than okay in the playoffs. Johnny Gaudreau was manhandled. He looked like a man-child out there. Sean Monaghan disappeared. Elias Lindholm disappeared. Calgary Flames did not show up to compete. The Colorado Avalanche. Boy, I'm really struggling with that one. The Colorado Avalanche did. They outplayed them every game. Simeon Varlamov. No, it's not Simeon Varlamov. Philip Grubauer. Outplayed. Mike Smith. Philip Grubauer played a hell of a first round. A hell of a first round. Talk about a goaltender. Look at Robin Leonard and what he's doing on the island. What is he, sporting at 1.5 goals against in the first round? That's unheard of. Talk about a team that, that really bought in. Barry Trotz and his coaching staff have gone in there and performed a minor miracle. I mean if if you had told me that this team was going to lose John Tavares for nothing. For nothing. And they were going to be better the next year and they were going to make the playoffs and win, not only win around, sweep, I would have called you insane. But that just goes to show you what coaching can do. Barry Trots has instilled the philosophy on the island of hard work, solid defensive zone coverage, and just doing your job. Reminds me of Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Know what to do, do it right, and we'll be okay. They got them there. Good for them. It's awesome to see. All right, so on to round two. Very excited. That begins... um, as I'm recording on Wednesday night, that begins tomorrow. Um, first round is always the most exciting round of the playoffs because there's so many. There's you know, it's 16 teams and it's battles and it's this and it's playoff hockey. It's overtimes and but uh, there's a lot of interesting storylines to look forward to in round two. Uh, notably, all the the teams that have gone on to round two that we maybe weren't expecting. You know, like Colorado, Carolina. Um, St. Louis, in a way, uh, Saint Dallas, my God, Dallas, Ben Bishop and that team have played really well. Kudos to them. I'll be keeping an eye on that. I'm very excited to see what the second round of the playoffs is going to look like. It's very exciting. All right, I've gone on long enough. I told you I was going to try to keep this short. Um, my, uh, I've had enough of, I'm sure you guys have had enough of just hearing me talk all the time um so yeah so i, I promised you guys uh, a conversation with uh, with jason greenberg um jason greenberg is a contributor over at uh, union and blue is a uh, fan-sided affiliate website uh, just like a winning habit is um here in montreal but he's down in columbus so i th- have an interesting conversation with him that i'm gonna play for you now All right, joining me right now on the podcast is uh, Jason Greenberg from Union and Blue, who uh, you know, fan sided website that uh, covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. Jason, thanks you very much for uh, for joining me. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, different, you know, having a Columbus guy writing, uh, you know, writes about the Blue Jackets on here. But I figured it'd be an interesting conversation to kind of look at the the two sides of it, where Montreal and Columbus were in in such a dead heat playoff race. At till like came down to the final weekend. I wanted to get your point of view on it and see what it was like in, in Columbus. Cause you know, as crazy as it always is here in Montreal, but <laughs> I figured for a city like Columbus who, who had been starving for playoff success for, for literally as long as they've been around that city must've been hopping, um, as, as they were really pushing for the playoffs.
2: Uh, I, I, it was really crazy as we're, we're coming down to the, I believe it was like the final three weeks. Uh, it was actually kind of a lot of down, um, in a lot of the Facebook groups for the Blue Jackets uh, fan pages, a lot of fans were actually very negative. And, and almost all of us were very pessimistic about getting into the playoffs uh, with what was ahead. I believe they had said we had the easiest schedule, but when we looked at it, it looked like we had the hardest schedule because I think we had Boston two or three times. And, I mean, I was almost dead set on us missing, and I was full on expecting uh, to miss to uh, Carolina and Montreal. So it was, it was a really nice surprise to actually make it this year.
1: Well, yeah, for sure. And after the moves that uh, the general manager made at the deadline, you know, really pushing all the chips, like, you know, he went all in at the at the trade deadline and said, you know know what, I'm going to keep Bobrovsky, I'm going to keep Panarin. But on top of that, I'm going to go out and add, you know, a top six centerman in Matt Duchesne, a top six you know, winger and Ryan Dezingle, both out of Ottawa, in two separate trades. I don't know how that works. Um, <laughs> and then you know, he goes out and adds depth on defense with uh, Adam McQuaid and a third goaltender because you never know injuries might happen in uh, in Keith Kincaid. So I mean, really a lot of moves were done, and and it was I guess it was Columbus's way of telling its fans, well. We might lose some players here, but we're gonna give it everything we got instead of telling you once again to you know be patient. And it'll be our turn next year.
2: Yeah, and it it was kind of scary at first when we were trading away uh, a lot of these prospects. I was really high on Abramov uh, coming into this year. I thought he was actually gonna start with a big club. Um, but like when when we started making these moves on deadline day, I could remember saying, if if we miss the this year, it's gonna be one of the biggest disappointments, at least in franchise history. We would be starting from a uh, from square one. And it, it, luckily it worked out in the end as uh, we ended up making the last spot and obviously winning our first series in uh, our entire franchise's history. But it, it was just kind of like a weight off of our shoulders to actually just make it uh, with all the moves that we uh, did at the deadline.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Columbus is left with a third round pick this year and a seventh. They could easily <laughs> just trade those leading up to the deadline, not even have to, you know, go out to the to Vancouver for the draft.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, which which is really funny uh, coming actually from the uh, the American football side I can remember uh the local team at least to me the Cincinnati Bengals there was a time uh where the New Orleans Saints had offered the Bengals their entire draft uh, I believe it was to draft Wick- uh Ricky Williams at one point and um I remember the Bengals denied it but that would have made it so it seems like the same where the Saints wouldn't have even had to show up to the draft at all. <laughs> yeah, no so, that's I've mean, uh, been the same kind of feeling in Columbus.
1: Yeah, that's a that's an interesting uh, situation. So I mean, we talked a little bit about the deadline acquisitions, and I've been a, a pretty vocal critic of of the Canadians' moves at the deadline. Thinking I saw all the moves that teams around them in the standings were making, and notably Columbus, the big additions they made, and I saw Montreal kind of stamp out, and I thought to myself at the time, this isn't you know end very well for them. Um, and and so we saw every practically every team around the Canadians in the standings get better. Um, so like. What was the atmosphere like in, in Columbus when when Game Three, first home game in the playoffs, came out, and and Columbus is up two nothing against the against Tampa Bay.
2: I mean, we honestly, I was pretty scared considering what had happened last year uh, against Washington coming back home. I was at the double overtime loss, uh, you know, one year ago. And so when we were up two to nothing, I, w- I was just trying to hold my breath and make sure that I wasn't <laughs> getting too far ahead of myself because, I mean, we, we had been through this many times before. Uh, we had never actually won a game three up until uh, that day. And, wow, uh, I, I didn't know that. remember all, uh, yeah, all, all the game threes in the past with uh, Detroit, uh, both Pittsburgh's, and then Washington just did. like we, we were setting ourselves up for disappointment, just whatever came just would happen. And so to get that win, uh, I believe was the Atkinson empty netter. That was just like so relieving because we were up 3-0, which we had never won three games in a playoff series before. And so it it just kind of left us with a we got one more and we have four games to do it. And (laughs) I mean, it it, it felt like pretty good odds at the time. And, you know, luckily we got to do it in four and didn't have to wait until like game six or something.
1: All right. So you're going to you're going to have to be honest with me. Were you as shocked? As as I was when when you saw one Columbus come back to win Game One in Tampa Bay and then take a commanding three nothing series lead in Columbus, <laughs> it was I was like this was the nightmare for Tampa Bay fans. Oh, I I think I was like the
2: only one like at the bar who was like completely freaking out as all these goals were going in. I mean I I think I'd originally got to the bar with a group of like I think but there was like five of us and. And I was the last one left standing after it was three to nothing after one. And all of a sudden, Foligno scores. And that was like my first time celebrating the night. I'm like, yeah, okay, we got one. We got one. Got the good spirit going. And then I was incredibly surprised with that entire that entire game. That was, I think, one of the all time greatest Blue Jackets playoff games uh, in their existence. But then to just even come come out and do it again in game two in the way that they did that five to one. It it, it was just unbelievable. And I mean, obviously, yeah, it's Tampa's worst nightmare I did not expect this whatsoever
1: well I mean that you bring up a good point that they you know yeah they managed to I guess do it in game one and surprise and stun everybody but I don't think I would have I know anybody that was expecting or that you know I think everybody that I know let me put it this way was expecting Tampa Bay to come back And just in game two and say, okay, you guys had your fun in game one. Now we're going to, you know, we're the big boys and we're the top of the league and we're going to show you how it's done. And yet they just laid an egg and Columbus, I mean, I'm really, I've, I really have been impressed with, with John Tortorella's coaching in, in the four games against, against Tampa Bay Lightning. He outcoached John Cooper. If I've ever seen someone outcoach someone else.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I, have always been uh, vocal about supporting uh, Tortorella through the entire process. I can remember uh, back, I believe it was in 2015, was when we fired uh, Todd Richards. It was either 2015 or 2016. It was my junior year of high school. Um, and I could just remember, um, like, when we first got Tortorella, I was very, very uh, cautious about it after what had happened in Vancouver. <laughs> and, and so all of a sudden, a few years later, we, we made the playoffs a few years in a row, and obviously last year uh, people were criticizing him after the series defeat in Washington. Uh, but... He, He's he's answered every bell and he's been everything we've ever wanted in a coach here in Columbus with a lot of really lackluster coaches in recent years. Uh, but funny enough, a lot of our former coaches have gone on to coach other places. Um, Todd Richards was actually an assistant coach on Tampa this year. Right. Uh, Scott Arneal had went on to coach the uh, uh, be an assistant coach for the Rangers for so long when they were in the Cup final. Uh, then even now, Gerard Gallant uh, over in Vegas and like when we when we would see all these guys. leave, us and then instantly go have success uh, success elsewhere. It, it was just kind of like when are you going to get that one coach who has success here? It then goes on elsewhere. But I mean, luckily, I've, I I'm hoping at least this is Tortorella's last stop, and yeah, he stays for a while. I
1: totally get that. I mean, have I've been a John Tortorella <laughs> fan since since really his days in in uh, on television here up in Canada it was like i've always i've always loved his his no hold back attitude and i'm just going <laughs> to say it the way i the way it is in my mind and if i don't like what it is i'm going to call it out um where a lot of people that you know ticks off a lot of people but i i really think he's he's an old school guy in 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 a lot of ways that has a, allowed himself to develop into what he is today where he he really Gets the most out of his players. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is. He's a smart, tactical guy behind the bench that knows how to, you know, he's won a Stanley Cup. He's been far in the playoffs. He knows how to coach in the playoffs. But he also can get the most out of all the players from top line center to depth defenseman.
2: Exactly. And that that was one thing coming into this year uh, when we started to have a lot of the new guys before the trade deadline, and we had uh, players like Anthony Duclair. Uh, people were wondering how are they going to get him going. And I mean, Duclair played unbelievable for us uh, before the deadline, obviously. And unfortunately, we had to see him go uh, in the trade because he was just starting to pick up. And then obviously, uh, Matt Duchesne coming here and just fitting right in, and that's something that a lot of people were very skeptical about. Um, first well, consider- we first yeah, for for- Duchesne. considering yeah,
1: for considering considering the 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 history of Matt Duchesne after being traded. Um, I, I remember I was, when I saw these, when I, when I saw all these trades happen, I said, okay, yeah, good for Columbus. They're making a push for the playoffs. But I thought to myself, boy, Matt Duchesne has a history of, I remember when he was traded to Ottawa, he went like, I'm, I think it was almost 30 games without like actually fitting in. And it was, he looked like he was struggling out there. And I thought to myself, I said, boy, I, Columbus can't afford another a 30 game. Like they don't have 30 games. Enough for this. Like he needs to figure it out and figure it out quick. And and like you said earlier, it's it didn't look very good for Columbus there after the deadline for a while. And I mean oh, that was it, a team about two weeks.
2: It was for two weeks. It was
1: petrifying. Oh, for, I can I can totally understand that. I mean I that was when you saw all these trades happen. You're like, okay, this is a team that's going to say no. I'm going to go out and compete with the Islanders and the Capitals to finish first in the division. But yet it was the going the other way around. I mean I I remember. When I mean, I, you know, as for in Montreal, we were closely following their schedule. And I'm like, I'm assuming you guys were doing for, for the Canadians. But when when Columbus went out on a Western Canadian road trip and they lost to Edmonton and they lost to Calgary, I thought to myself, I said, oh, boy, if they lose to Vancouver, this is it. And and I think they figured that out, too, pretty quick, because they went out and put a thumping on Vancouver. I think they won that game five <laughs> nothing. And then that led to I think it was five in a row and three shutouts.
2: Yeah, I believe it was 7 out of 8 in the last um in the last week there. I can't remember. I I I think the one loss was like Edmonton. Um or it couldn't have been Edmonton, but I I just remember it was 7 out of the last 8 that we won down the stretch and we we were just wondering. It was Boston that we lost to. Um we were just wondering like are we going to miss by a single point? Uh I I I can remember back in I believe it was twenty four twenty thirteen. 2013. Uh, The year before we played Pittsburgh for the first time, uh, the Jackets had literally missed the playoffs by one point uh, due to Colorado uh, not being able to uh, take down Minnesota on the last game of the year. And I was thinking in my head, going down to Montreal, uh, I believe it was we had one game in hand, um, but Montreal was a point ahead of us. And I was I was just 100 percent, 100 percent expecting us to lose uh, by one point.
1: <laughs> well, trust me, it's not. A, it's a feeling that I know all too well right now, and it's it's one that is not all that great. And I mean, I I said to myself when I looked at the schedule after the deadline, I, I, I circled in big red marker about thirteen times the Canadians in Columbus game. Um, and I said that is where the playoffs are going to be determined, right? I mean, this is whoever. In my mind, it was that simple. Whoever wins that game is going to go on to win the playoffs, to make the playoffs, because it's going to be so close that that's 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 the win, and that to me that was a a playoff game. You win, you're in, and you lose, you're out. And and Columbus really came out that night, and I remember while I was watching that game, and Columbus came out and basically slapped Montreal around, taught them how to play hockey.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, coming down, like I said, when they won seven out of the last eight uh, after I think we lost to Boston, uh, it must have been just before that. And so we go into Montreal, we had to win that game. Then that that New York Rangers game to clinch it as we are. We we were scoreboard watching uh, uh, Montreal. uh, And when we saw that there was an opportunity for us to clinch in uh, the shootout that that was a huge moment for us, (laughs) especially to validate all the moves that we had to do.
1: Well, I can understand that. I mean, but then again, I, when I saw the final weekend, it was Montreal was basically hoping for a miracle where the Rangers and the and the Senators had to beat Columbus on a back-to-back, and that wasn't going to be very easy. Um, I would have, I honestly, if, if Columbus had missed the playoffs because they wouldn't have been able to win those two games, that would have been some serious soul-searching, I would think, down there. But, I mean, at the end of the day, they did, and Montreal was out. And like I said, like I told you earlier, I really think, when Montreal decided to not make some significant additions to the roster at the deadline, when you saw teams in the battle, you know, like Carolina went out and added a guy like Nino Niederreiter, who was good for them down the stretch, scored some goals, and, and Columbus went out and made those big trades where Montreal just sat pat, sat back and did nothing. And at the end of the day, I think it really cost them because, well, Columbus went on to win playoff, play playoff hockey, win the first round, and now they're going to go play Boston tomorrow night. What does that feel yeah. like?
2: Uh, It's very exciting. It's kind of uh, uncharted territory for us uh, because, I mean, obviously we've never played Boston in the playoffs, but we've also never been this far before. Uh, So, I mean, obviously it it takes a little bit of just getting used to uh, seeing our logo up there uh, past the first round of the bracket. (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, it it feels really good to be bracket busters. And, I mean, the the city is absolutely madhouse. I mean, I don't know if you saw, but they literally held a Monday afternoon practice at like 10 in the morning, and they had over 5,000 people like shove through the doors in yeah the first no yeah i saw that columbus so, is mean, columbus
1: has, i guess columbus is ready to party
2: oh yeah it, it, it's turned into such a hockey town i mean it, it's been on the cusp for a few years now uh just waiting to burst and i mean obviously we were just waiting for some kind of playoff success uh and i mean obviously last year did not help uh blowing it so quickly uh but but this town is in just a huge frenzy right now uh just excited for hockey
1: Oh, I can understand that. All right, Jason. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for joining me. I'll let you uh, get ready for uh, for tomorrow night's uh, action-packed game in Boston, and I'll uh, wish you guys all the best of luck in Columbus. And uh, hopefully, this uh, this I'm gonna call it magical because they. I mean, just the fact that they swept Tampa Bay, I'll call it magical. You know, all the all the luck that that this uh, playoff run keeps going for them, and uh, maybe they can do some more damage here.
2: Yes, thank you so much, and I uh, hope to see you guys next year
1: yeah well maybe uh, maybe next year you guys, hopefully we'll be in on the playoffs as well next year so uh, that'll be a little bit more exciting for us up here in Montreal but uh yeah so good luck on the rest of the playoffs thanks again for doing this with me and uh have a, enjoy the playoffs.
2: yes thank you so much
1: all right so that was uh that was my conversation with with Jason Greenberg uh, who's a contributor over at unionandblue.com and um, website under the fan cited. Um, handle just like a winning habit is here in montreal um so i do hope you guys enjoyed that conversation uh, i think it's always interesting and uh, you know good thing to, to see how um it is for fan bases of other teams that were in similar positions as the montreal canadians you know in such a such a strong and heavy push for the playoffs coming down the stretch so uh, i was really happy that uh, grace jason graciously accepted to uh join me on the podcast to have a uh, a little conversation about what it was like in columbus at the trade deadline you know with all the moves that they made and then the stretch be- before the playoffs uh, that push that they were in to-, to actually make the playoffs by um by uh, you know by a few points here against much Mont- ahead of montreal um so and of course you know briefly mentioned that uh, surprising four nothing series sweep of uh, tampa bay so by all accounts from everything jason says it's a uh, Probably rocking and rolling down there in in Columbus. So uh, I know it's not always uh, easy and, and fun to do when you're a member of the fan base for the Canadians after missing out on the playoffs. But I do wish them the best of luck in the in the playoffs against the Bruins. I would rather see Columbus advance than Boston because, well, it is Boston. But anyway, so yeah. So again, I do hope you guys enjoyed the uh, enjoyed that conversation. I will try to try to reach out to different types of people like uh, like that every once in a while to you know spruce it up a bit uh, mix it up a bit on the, here on the podcast but with that being said this this conversation with jason does bring an end the uh, the inaugural episode of the not having it podcast uh, so i would like to thank you again for for finding us for tuning in for listening i do hope you guys enjoyed it um again also don't forget tell your friends about this podcast you've discovered uh always looking for more listeners you know like I said we're growing trying to grow uh, grow our, our, our listener group and, and providing you guys the listeners and the readers at a winninghabit.com the 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 most content possible and, and you know stuff that you guys are interested in reading and, and, and hearing um, so with that you know don't forget to subscribe to us uh, so you make sure to never uh, miss an episode because like I said this is going to be a weekly show so there will be another one next week so you don't even have to bother about you know looking is it out yet just uh, subscribe to us and uh, and it'll automatically be there for you when it comes out um, so yeah on that note thank you very much for listening uh, we'll see you uh, we'll see you next week make sure you uh, make sure you don't forget to uh, give us a read on a and don't forget to reach out to me on Twitter at Joshua 95 to let me know how you liked the podcast again thank you very much for listening.